Welcome to the Learner.co show, hosted by Kevin Horick and his fellow Learner co-founders. Listen in as groundbreaking leaders discuss what they've learned, discover the books, podcasts, presentations, courses, research, articles, and lessons that shape their journey. To listen to past episodes and find links to all sources of learning mentioned, visit Learner.co. That's Learner with two L's, dot co. Welcome back to the Learner.co show. Today we have Marsha Dawood. She's an angel investor, podcaster. Well, she's really been in the venture capital space for a number of years now. Um, and I'm really excited to talk to her. I haven't talked to her in a number of years, and I'm, I'm curious to see what she's doing now. John and Greg, um, any thoughts before we can actually talk to her? Yeah, I'm excited in that um, she's got a, a different perspective than our, our first two guests on the show, just by virtue of being a woman. And so really? that's I'm excited about that. Um, and, and she's also done a ton in, you know, in helping and empowering women as entrepreneurs and there's got to be a lot of things that she's learned along the way in that uh which will be super interesting for sure and i'm excited to hear about that too because i think that's such a great uh great cause a great thing to be able to get behind there are so many so many women so many talented people in this world that uh yeah can use more opportunity to uh, take advantage of those those skills so I'm excited to do that. Yeah, I'm. I'm really interested in what she she has to say. I'm interested in what she looks for in her investments. Um, and uh, and as a as an angel investor, um, that's definitely that's that is different than our some of our other guests. And um, she has a she's definitely a different uh, like a seems to be a a broad portfolio of companies that uh, that I'd be interested to see what. What are the commonalities between them, and what has she learned along the way in, 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 from investing in these companies? You know, and, and as always, I'm always interested in the surprises, the things that you just wouldn't expect that somebody knows about. So, those are always kind of fun too to see what we wouldn't have guessed that that she uh, she's learning about. Those are cool. Cool. Well, on with the show. Welcome back to the Learner.co show. Today we have Marsha Dawood. She's an angel investor and chair of the Angel Capital Association. Marsha, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You did my other show a number of years ago, and I've talked to you before, and you've done an astronomical amount of stuff uh, in the venture space, in the capital space. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. So I grew up in Pennsylvania. I lived there most of my life before I met my husband. And we have now moved quite a, quite a ways around the country uh, from Pittsburgh to New York to Dallas to San Francisco. And now we live in Charlotte, North Carolina. So it's been a whirlwind. Nice. I've actually been to Charlotte. Like... I, I didn't really know what to expect, but it was like so beautiful and like, just, I don't know. I, I thought it was like really kind of, I felt like so relaxed and it just seemed like this chill, like beautiful place to live. It, it definitely is. And it's uh you get the seasons, but not the snow. Yeah. That's nice. nice. Very cool. So you went to university. What did you take and why? 
Well, I went for a business degree just because I figured I would end up in working in some kind of business, which which I did. I was a retail buyer for a while when I first okay. got to college, and then I worked for Kaplan Education for several years. Very cool. So walk us through your career up until what you're doing today, maybe just some highlights and learnings along the way, because you've done a ton of stuff. Well, I was lucky when I was at Kaplan, I ended up um, even though I had, I think when I went back and looked at one point, I, I had the same basic three bosses the whole time I was working <laughs> there at different times, but I had 13 different jobs. I think one wow. of my bosses and I actually sat down one day and counted because um, I started just in a you know very entry level right out of college kind of job. And I was working in one location and then I ended up working in a regional job and then I got promoted into a national position. So I think my, my learning from all of that is, you know, you can really, you can move around in a big company and, and kind of reinvent yourself a little bit, but it does help sometimes to actually leave a company and go to a different company. You know, nowadays we hear that a lot from the um, younger generation, uh, okay. where my, my parents, it was more like, Hey, you better, um, stay with a company until you get your watch at the end of 50 years or whatever it is. <laughs> but in this case, I think, uh, it really, it can help you to, to move along and learn other skill sets. So I, I started in sales and marketing and then I did that for many years, but then realized I, I really had some operational skills too. So I moved over to that and, and that was really kind of what gave me, the background that I needed in order to help early stage companies, which is what I do now. Very cool. So how did you get into the investment space then? Somebody invited me to an angel investing meeting and okay. I, my answer to the invitation was what's angel investing. I don't <laughs> even know. What, I don't even know what that is. And so they started to kind of explain it, but then they were like, well, just come to the meeting and you'll see. And so I went and I just realized how much innovation and, and really cool things were happening. And I was still living in my bubble of, you know, one, you know, corporate company. And I, I, you know, I stayed working in corporate for a while as I started to learn about angel investing, but then realized that I could make a lot of impact if I started to do this on a more regular basis. So I started working with different companies. About six years ago, I became a member of the board of the Angel Capital Association. And then in July of 2021 is when I took over as the chair of the board. Very cool. Congrats on that. That's huge. <laughs> Thank you. So what exactly does the Angel Capital Association actually do? That is a good question. You know, that's when I first heard about it. That's what I said. Okay. What does the Angel Capital Association <laughs> do? So we are professional, the professional society in the U.S., and we also have global members of angel investors. And what we want to do is be the place that people come for anything related to angel investing. But we're an association. We're a nonprofit. So you don't come to, um, you know, get money. Uh, it's not like entrepreneurs apply to the Angel Capital Association. But it is the place where angels can learn, where we network. Um, where entrepreneurs can find out about different angel groups that are out there that they could potentially go and, and contact. So there's a lot of pillars um, that we have. We basically four pillars that we work with, you know, education, data analytics, public policy, and um, 
our membership and marketing pillar. So all of those things together really create the Angel Capital Association, which is the place that if you're an angel investor, you really want to be so that you can get to know your fellow angels, because at the angel stage, we're not like venture capitalists that have lots and lots of extra money to spend on um, analysts and and all of these things, we have to rely on each other and find expertise within our own network, especially if you're investing in something that's kind of um, a little more complicated. Got you. No, that that's actually really interesting. So for people that maybe don't know, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems to maybe vary a little bit cash wise, depending on where you are geographically. But what does it actually mean to be an angel investor? And, and what accreditation or financial situation do you need to be and then kind of what range do you typically invest in? Yeah, all good questions. So the way that I explain it to people is the SEC has a definition of what is required to make a what we call private investment. So people who go and invest into a stock like Apple or something like that, that's on the public market. When okay. we're talking about making an early stage investment in a company that's private and very small, that would be you know, a private investment. So when we're making these investments, it's important to remember that um, people make, you know, angels definitely write checks out of their own checkbook. So that's what makes us different from um, a venture capital firm, which they pool other people's money and that's how they make investments. So angels, we have to kind of band together, use our expertise and the accredited investor definition it basically says that you have to have $200,000 in income, $300,000 if you are including your spouse, or $1 million net worth minus your home. So that's that's a definition that's kind of out there um, for the country to take in. Now, okay. if though... Uh, there is one other way that people who maybe don't meet that definition um, would and would like to invest. There's something that got passed a couple of years ago called crowdfunding, and it's called Reg CF. And it's where for as little as $100, you can um, go onto a platform. Uh, there's several platforms out there. We Funder, Republic are two of them that I've used in the past. And you can make an investment um, in a company for um, very little money. And then you, it's kind of literally the wisdom of the crowd is what kind of puts that all together and gets funding for a company. Interesting. Okay. So how are you guys actively trying to recruit new investors to be a part of your association? So there's a couple of ways. Um, you know, we, our association makes is made up a lot of groups. So we have okay. a lot of angel groups that are members of the Angel Capital Association. We do have individual members as well. Um, it is, I, I believe that it's important for people to realize that this is something that they can do. According to the um, SEC, which is uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission of the United States, there are 16 million potential angel investors out there, meaning there are wow. 60 million people that meet the accredited investor definition. However, the Angel Capital Association only has 14,000 members. And right now, uh, statistics that we've seen, and I think this is a little bit outdated, so it could be a tiny bit higher than this, 
but basically about 300,000 angels are active in the US. So there's a huge discrepancy there of the amount of people that could be involved in the asset class, but just don't even realize that it exists. I talk to people all the time and they say the same thing that I did back when I got invited to a meeting 10 years ago, which is what is angel investing? I don't even know what that is. No, totally. That that makes a lot of sense. So are there things that people learn or any resources that you could maybe suggest people look into or, or start actually reading or consuming to actually potentially decide if they want to become an angel investor? Sure. I mean, there's uh, there's tons of information. I mean, there are books out there that you could read, but probably the one of the better things to do might be to, one, um, you could just Google like angel investing in and then just list where you live. Um, and something will pop up. There's likely some type of an ecosystem in your own community. And the whole reason that angels invest really, I mean, one of the big reasons is of course people like to get a financial return, but again, this is a very risky asset class and I'm not giving any type of financial advice here. So definitely a disclaimer that always talk to your financial advisor, not don't listen to a podcast and make financial decisions. Uh, you could Google and go to your local, um, an angel group and kind of find out more about it. But there is, there are a couple of other places. Um, if you wanted to just learn a little bit and kind of really just dip your toe in the water with the crowdfunding that I talked about a couple minutes ago, you go, could go to a place like um, Republic. A An online VC that I like a lot is called Our Crowd, O-U-R Crowd. Um, and then there's also uh, funds out there. And if you go to a fund called Portfolia, so it'd be like Portfolio, but with an A, uh, you can also learn. That's actually a learning platform where you can invest in a fund. Uh, you do have to be accredited, um, but you can invest and you can also then um, be invited to a call as an investor every month where you get to see the different companies pitch that the fund could potentially invest in. Interesting. No, that that seems really cool. Um, no, that's that's really good resources. So I'm curious then to maybe dive a little bit deeper into some of the stats that you're seeing. You, you've mentioned some of this, and, and then I, I kind of want to transition into, you've done a lot for women and tech and getting investments. Do you want to talk about that and um, people of color is are things getting better or, or what do you see? Because you've been doing it for a number of years. Sure. So, I mean, the good news is that it is getting better. Um, in some cases, it's it's not getting worse, which I guess is, is a good thing. Um, in a lot of cases, though, we are seeing it get better. And I, I'll highlight a couple of things. First of all, sure. there's a group called Golden Seeds. Um, they right. have been investing in uh, women-led companies for probably close to 15 years now. And they wow. just put out a press release that they crossed over the $150 million mark of um, money that they've invested into women-led companies. So that's a huge milestone. And I think that's something to really be celebrated. Totally. Um, as far as people of color, uh, they have traditionally gotten less than 1% of all of the venture funding that's out there. The Angel Capital Association does put out a report every year called the Angel Funders Report. Our most recent report is going to be published at the end of this month, but um, just a little birdie told me that some of the data that is in there related to people of, or founders of color getting funding has actually improved. And so that is something that 
is really great to see because what what we're seeing out there is that there are great diverse teams that are doing mm-hmm. amazing things and there have been a, there's been a lot of research in the past done i know first round capital put out a report i think it was about 2 years ago that had some really interesting statistics on how diverse teams really do create better results they drive bigger revenues and they drive better profits so these are all great reasons to make sure that you have a lot of diversity in your team no that that makes a lot of sense is there something that like people like myself can do I, like i've been in tech for a number of years now mostly on the design side been in some startups but is there anything that i could actually do or or people listening could actually do to to actually help there's always things that can be done i'm you know when we talk about angel investing it doesn't always have to be about money i mean most of the time that's what's happening or that's that is what's being discussed because you you think about well i'm an, if i'm an entrepreneur i'm saying hey i i really need to get my business off the ground i really need money um right. but you need other things too you need advice you need expertise you need networks uh, you need somebody who can open a door for you. I just, here's a good example. I just had this happen the other day. Um, there was a woman who uh, I was explaining to her about this one particular company that um, one of my groups had invested in. And she said, well, you know what, if they are interested in getting into Target, I might have um, a, you know, a, a, a contact for them. And at first I thought, well, I don't know that that's the type of product that they would, would be looking to put in Target. But then then I was like, oh, well, let me ask the entrepreneur. Well, the entrepreneur was like, yes, I want this. <laughs> I want this contact. So, <laughs> I mean, those types of things are really valuable, you know, depending on the space and what kind of, you know, um, product it is, if there's some level of expertise that's needed. Like, I'll give you another example. I, I was asked several years ago to be on the board of a startup company. But when I looked at what the startup did, I thought to myself, I don't, I don't really know anything about that industry. And I don't think I would be the best person. So then we went out and we looked for somebody who would fill that role. So when you're looking at boards, and we could have a whole podcast just on that topic, but sure. when you're looking at the board of a startup company, their role is so critical because every step of the uh, startup's life really goes to, hey, what what can we do as a board to make sure that this company is successful? So having the right balance of expertise is really important. Interesting. No, I, I 100% agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. Do you have any advice for people that are actually looking to get some of that advice? Cause sometimes it can be really scary to reach out to people, especially if you're, you're new to being an entrepreneur and, and you want to start kind of cold reaching out to people. Absolutely. And there's a saying out there that says, when you want advice, ask for money. And when you want money, ask for advice. Okay. So, um, I get people who reach out to me on LinkedIn pretty regularly and, I will tell you if they start the message with, Hey, I need $50,000. Can you give it to me? And I have no idea who they are. Likely the answer is going to be no. Um, Because I have no idea who you are. So most investors, especially early at the earliest of stages, they need to have a relationship or at least build a relationship with the entrepreneur. So if you're an entrepreneur out there and you're thinking to yourself, wow, I have this great idea and something that I really want to work on, I would look for some advisors 
just right off the bat that you could talk to, that you could kind of build a, a little bit of a relationship with leading up to when you would actually need to raise money. So you want to be talking to investors way, way, way before you need money so that you can work on that relationship. And I'll give you an example. Um, uh, Mindshift Capital, where I'm a venture partner, and we just invested in a company and the, the founder, uh, female, I got to know her in 2015 when I lived in New York City. And I've stayed in touch with her all these years. And her company was pretty small at the beginning and it's grown. And uh, now we are investors in her company. But I met her six years ago before we ever wow. met, made an investment. So I don't think that we would have necessarily made the investment if I hadn't had this long going relationship with her. So part of is part of the reason, like obviously you guys stayed in touch, but is part of the reason you maybe made that investment is because you watched her kind of grind it out those number of years or, or what made you actually put money into that as somebody that you've had a long-term relationship with? It is absolutely because we watched her grind it out. We watched her pivot in certain ways to make the company stronger, make it more scalable, uh, really put the right team behind her, you know, getting getting all the pieces in place. And sometimes when you're talking to an entrepreneur, you know, the entrepreneur doesn't have all the pieces in place yet. And we we totally get that and we understand. So it's more a matter of how can we help you, not just with money, but how can we help you to get the right people around you? Makes sense. So do you have any advice for people that are looking to maybe go to an angel at what stage or where should their company be at? So, as I said, I really think the earlier that you start conversations, the better. So for example, golden seeds that I mentioned before, they have this wonderful program called office hours and you can just go onto their website at goldenseeds.com and click on their office hours and apply to see if you can get a slot. It doesn't cost anything. Um, there's no obligation either way, but you can start to get some advice about your company and possibly meet an angel or three that might, you know, you might build a relationship with over time. And then in a lot of cases, cause I was on the other side of that, I used to help with the office hours and talk to the entrepreneurs. You know, I would, be thinking, you know, racking my brain, like, what can I do to help this person? Or who can I introduce them to? Or what kind of guidance maybe do they not know about that I could give them so that they can really not waste a lot of time? I feel like, you know, as an entrepreneur, your time is super precious because you're trying to build your company, which is like a 24 hour <laughs> job. <laughs> and at the same time, you're trying to raise money, which is also a 24 hour job. So it's really hard to do two 24 hour jobs. But um, at this point, you want to do something, you know, so that you can start to really build your business. And it really does mean saving time and getting to the people that you can really make a difference. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious, then, is there anything that you've learned outside of you know, being an investor or you know the chair of the Angel Capital Association that you actually have brought back into your business life? Yes, I would say that anything that we can do to like duplicate ourselves, I guess is the best way to put it. 
Um, and here's what really jazzes me up. So there's a group, uh, an angel group in Arizona that did some research of their own investing. And they found, they figured out that over a 10 year period for every hundred thousand dollars that they invested, it produced 5.8 direct jobs, $450,000 in wages and 2.1 million in economic output. So imagine that, imagine if there were more and more angels who were willing to put in time and, and money to some of these very early companies, imagine what kind of economic output that would do for really any type of area. I know so often people think about investing or VC and the first thing that they think of is, oh, you know what, um, Silicon Valley or New York. They don't think about the places like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or um, Dallas, Texas, which is also kind of a bigger cream. But how about Kansas City or even in Oklahoma? I mean, there are pods of you know, and pockets of tech and, and amazing innovation that's happening in the medical space, all kinds of stuff. So imagine if people were investing in that level and pooling their resources, what kind of economic output that could mean for some of their small cities. Interesting. Yeah. And it seems to me, well, and I'm curious to get your thoughts that actually getting a company off the ground these days has never been cheaper or easier. Is that fair to say, or, or what are your thoughts around that? I, I would say that that's true. I think it depends on the type of company. Um, angels okay. tend to invest in tech, as we've okay. mentioned. And the other thing that they tend to invest in is like the life sciences or the healthcare space. In that case, if you have a great idea, but it's a medical device or some type of a pharma, uh, that can be very, 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 very capital intensive. So um, getting something like that started it could be a little bit harder. But in, in some cases, we see some amazing innovation happening in universities and then if the ecosystem around that university, I'll use Pittsburgh as an example, um, they have Carnegie Mellon, incredible things are happening at the university. And then because there's an ecosystem around them and some different angel groups, incubators, accelerators, and places that um, entrepreneurs can, can really start to put some structure around this innovation that they're creating, then they can, you know, they could really do well and it could be easier than than you think even though it's never easy <laughs> sure so it sounds to me like geographic where you live i don't know i think it used to matter a lot more it doesn't seem to matter as much anymore and it sounds like you would agree with that absolutely and covid has completely moved it in that direction so before covid you would have heard angels say things like if i can't drive there in the morning and be back home by dinner time, I don't want to invest in the company. Um, but nowadays it's very different with everything being so remote and online and you can easily talk to people. Investments were still made in 2020 after COVID started and there, there were plenty of dollars invested without ever meeting the founder face-to-face. -face. And that before COVID was almost unheard of. Interesting. It'll go back to how it was, or do you think people will still do 
I don't think of... it will ever go back to where it was. I mean, and that's okay. just my humble opinion, but I don't think it will because people have realized just how much they can get done. I know I've talked to entrepreneurs who have said they had a, a, a more efficient, I shouldn't say an easier time because it's never easy to fundraise, but they had a more efficient fundraising strategy because they were able to talk to so many more people in a day than they could before, before when they had to have coffee meetings and they're having to travel and do all these things just to have investor meetings. Well, now with Zoom, they could just go back, 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 back. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious to get other advice for entrepreneurs out there because you've obviously been on, on both sides. Um, so what advice do you give to people or what do you see people do all the time that you wish they didn't do? Well, I hate to see entrepreneurs waste time. We talked about that a yeah. little bit. So I always encourage entrepreneurs to put together what it is that they want the investor to know, put it into a deck and then even like a two page document or one page document, but then also have a, like a frequently asked question sheet, because once you start to talk to investors or really anyone for that matter about your business, people are going to ask you questions. And usually they're asking you the same questions kind of over and over again. And when it comes time to fundraise and you have to go into diligence and you're being asked a lot of due diligence questions, then you're really answering the same question over and over again. So save yourself some time, some energy. I always tell people too, and I don't see very many entrepreneurs doing this. So, you know, please, any entrepreneur out there, take this idea and run with it if you'd like, but um, videotape yourself videotape yourself explaining what your business is. Don't make it like an hour, but we're talking like, you know, seven, 10 minutes, whatever, five minutes, just a little bit about going over your, your deck, give your pitch. If you sent out a, a five minute or even a three minute video to investors, I bet you they'd watch that before they'd open the deck. So just some ideas, like little tips and tricks. Nowadays, everybody wants to devour content in like 90 seconds on a video. So give it to them that way. Maybe then you'll get their interest. And, and I, you know, somebody sent me a video on LinkedIn and that maybe I'd watch that before they just say, give me 50 grand. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think that's really good advice. Is there any books or, or courses or podcasts? I know you mentioned a few earlier, but is there any others that you'd recommend either to people that are looking to get into being an investor or entrepreneurs? Well, you know, Guy Raz has a great um, podcast on how I built this and there's lots of learnings in every one of them about just building a business and things you should and shouldn't do. Um, If you are seriously getting into fundraising for your company, Brad Feld wrote a book called Venture Deals. It is very dense with a lot of amazing information. And I think the tagline under the title venture deals is everything your lawyer didn't tell you, but it is really helpful for an entrepreneur to know. I know it's very time consuming to have to learn it because this isn't something that entrepreneurs deal with usually every day, but knowing the terms and how they affect you of what you're agreeing to when you do take in money, from the outside is super important because if you start agreeing to terms and you don't really understand the implication and let's say that your company is then quite successful, you could have given away a lot more of your company than you realize. 
No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. You also recently started a podcast. What's the show called and who do you have as a guest? Yes. So for the Angel Capital Association, I started a podcast called The Angel Next Door. And we talk to people who became angels or how did they become angels and why did they become angels? And it's a little bit about demystifying the whole idea of angel investing. So there's a little bit of something for everyone, uh, for investors and for entrepreneurs, because we give a lot of different uh, tips and tricks on what kind of goes in uh, or what, what kind of goes on in the mind of an angel investor. Very cool. Can you maybe share some of the things, if there's common things that you've heard from people that have become angel investors, maybe why they were hesitant at first and how they overcame it to actually become an angel? Sure. So angels often tell me that they just don't know what they don't know. They get nervous. They say, oh, I just, I don't know if I should make that investment because it is just, it's too scary or I don't, I don't have all the information. But in a lot of cases, that's why, that's why we all band together, like in groups. And we do the things that we do when it comes to diligence, because we're trying to make sure that we do have a reason to invest. You can always find a reason not to invest. Always. You can always sure. think of some reason why, you know what, I'm, I think this is kind of risky because guess what it is, but <laughs> you want to find those reasons of why you are going to make an investment in a company. Interesting. Well, and, and that's basically what you guys are trying to do with the Angel Capital Association, right? Like if, if I'm trying to invest in a company as an angel and I need help, well, then I have a whole network of people across the country and, and beyond to potentially help me with that probably has maybe made investments in that space before or maybe been in a similar situation. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. You know what? If somebody sent me a message and said, hey, I'm a new angel investor and I'm looking at a deal and I don't know that I know everything I need to. Can you help me? I would absolutely help them. And I think all of the angels out there would do that. I mean, we, we want there to be more of us and so that we can help more companies because it really does take a village. It's not, most angels can only make maybe one or two investments a year. They, it, you know, you, you're not really, you can't use like, all of your assets. Most angels only use maybe 5% of their net worth to invest in this asset class because it is risky. So, you know, it's just a matter of finding the right investments that fit that particular angel. Sure. Is there anything else that you've learned from interviewing a bunch of angels that you would like to pass on to maybe demystify some of this stuff? I think the, the biggest thing that I've seen, especially at the beginning, this is actually kind of funny, where um, and I've, almost every angel I've talked to says this, that when they first see companies and they've never really watched pitches or seen, you know, entrepreneurial companies before, when the first couple that they see, they think everyone is fantastic. Like, it's, oh my gosh, I have to write a check <laughs> right now. They're so, they're so fabulous because every entrepreneur out there is just so passionate and so incredible. It doesn't necessarily mean though, that that's the right, um, that that's the right investment for them. But um, it definitely is a place that you can go and be like, okay, I, this is really cool. I'm seeing a lot of innovation and I want to learn more. So I always tell angels at the beginning, don't be writing checks for the first like couple months, like really take a look, get to know, see some more things, and then you can kind of dip your toe in the water. 
Interesting. I, I think that's that's really good advice. Is there one thing or a few things that you see entrepreneurs do all the time when pitching? I, I know you, you said a, a couple of things, but are there other things that you notice that you'd like to mention as well? Well, I think when it comes to pitching, it's important that entrepreneurs really get to the point of, and, and there's a couple key points that, that investors will want to look at, look for, but I've seen entrepreneurs take a whole lot of time explaining their solution. And in some cases, their solution might be in search of a bigger problem and it's not there. So I always tell entrepreneurs, you really want to have a solution that is solving a big, big problem. Then you're going to get the interest of investors. Interesting. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious, is there certain, I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, but is, can basically people pitch an angel when it's like a napkin idea or should they have a product built or, and I get it's harder, especially if you're trying to build like a physical hardware device, but is there like a sweet spot or, or what are your thoughts around that? Well, I, did, I guess it depends on who you're pitching. I mean, if you're talking to somebody and you're trying to see if they will be an advisor or kind of help you to build your idea out, then you could be at the nap, napkin phase. But um, if you're going in front of an angel group, you have to have at least a pitch deck um, showing that you've thought through everything. You usually have to have some type of a prototype or working um whatever it is. And you also should have done some very significant customer discovery to see who it is that's actually going to buy your product. Because I've seen way too many times where an entrepreneur has a really great idea. And even the investors are like, that's a great idea. But if it isn't something that's sticky enough that will actually get people to buy it and pay money for it, well, then probably there, it's not going to do very well. Yeah, no, that that's really good advice. But we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, uh, MindShift, the Angel Capital Association, the podcast, and any other links you want to mention? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so you can find a lot of information, a lot, on the Angel Capital Association's website, which is simply angelcapitalassociation.org. There's a link on there to the podcast, The Angel Next Door. You can find the podcast, though, at any of your regular podcasting places, Apple, Spotify, Google, all those good places. I do have a website. It's just MarshaDawood.com. So if you wanted to link up with me, you can look at that. Um, and then MindShift Capital is just that, MindShiftCapital.com. And you can see all of the different companies and even apply for um, funding, especially if you are a female-led company. Perfect, Marsha. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Okay. Bye. That was fantastic. That was great. That was really good. That was actually, she was, she, it was, it was a really interesting interview, I, I thought, because I mean, it was different. It was different than, um, than, than the, you know, the more focused on the big centers like Silicon Valley and, but, yeah, you know, she's she's more, you know, she's taking a, a perspective of like, they're they're first of all that there's 16 million angel investors out there. You never, 
you never hear you don't generally hear about that totally and um and then just you know where his focus is you know there's good investments in pittsburgh there's good investments in kansas city um well the funny thing like that i found interesting is kansas city was the first uh area to get google fiber or Mm. and so they had a crazy boom and of texting i actually met the guy that ran um the kansas city startup their whole like startup community one of their major startup communities and it was all because google fiber moved in there first right so they had crazy internet speeds and then even where she lives in Charlotte and Durham and, and that kind of whole area is like a huge tech hub that I had right. no idea about. Right. And so we all think about the the Valley or well, Atlanta or New York or L.A. But you're right. There's all these other places throughout that people maybe rather live. Right. Because either by choice or their friends and family live there because or they don't want to move to one of those big cities. Right. Yeah. And. In in many ways, it's better if if there is investment there because it 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 helps develop those communities. Like not everybody can live in <laughs> on, yeah. on the coast. So totally. I loved that how she focused on about time and how much is that that advice for people, which is I think translates beyond just entrepreneurs pitching things as well. I think it's just knowing when you're when you're negotiating anything i suppose just understanding the needs of the person that you're talking to and and how much you can save time for both parties and how that helps move everything along i was just that was fantastic particularly of course for for startup entrepreneurs that was really great yeah totally the the thing i found useful too is even like finding inexpensive tools a month that save you time I always kind of thought years ago, I always sound like, I don't know if that's really worth it. But I think like, as you become busier and you're managing, you know, your family schedule and you like your personal and and business life kind of merge together, just having tools that even if they freeze you up like 30 minutes a day, you're like, I'll pay $8 a month for that or 30 bucks a month for that or whatever the number is. Right. If it's, if you can actually save you time. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, time you can always you make more money you can't make more time so that's <laughs> a pretty valuable resource thank you for tuning in to the learner.co show if you're looking to be a guest try out our app or want to get in touch please visit learner with two l's at www.learner.co the music for the show is by electric mantra thanks for listening and keep on learning